Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens and sitting across the desk from me as usual is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to the audience who's listening this evening. Thank you so much for allowing us to be in your home. We're going to be with you for the next 90 minutes, assuming the rapture doesn't happen first. Now, before we jump back into the topic of apostasy, the pastor's been discussing for a number of weeks. We have a question that has come in over the weekend from a listener in the Southern Caribbean. Good evening. Have you ever had a goal or desire and shared it with someone thinking they would be happy for you, but instead they dispel you by telling you it is unachievable for you, feeding your fears and negativity? Pastor, how do you deal with such? Well, if it's any comfort to the person who sent in the question, uh, I would like to say that if it's a girl or a guy, it doesn't matter. We've all faced situations like this. This is nothing new. As a matter of fact, most people would probably say they've actually had one or two of these kind of encounters. So um, don't feel that your experience is unique. And don't panic. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't overreact. And don't lose heart because somebody's discouraged uh, you on a venture that you want to undertake. Uh, I'd like to make a few comments and then give you my final advice on this matter. The first thing I would say to you is that I, I would like to dispel uh, the false notion, the falsehood that I hear constantly uh, with people who uh, make the statement that um, they can be anything they want to be. I want to dispel that once and for all. That's a false statement. That's not a true statement. It has no biblical foundation whatsoever. Uh, everybody cannot be a doctor. Everybody can't be a lawyer. Everybody cannot be an, an accountant or pilot. And by the way, not everybody can be a carpenter or a builder either. So the notion that I can be anything I want to be, if I just put my mind to it, etc., is just a false notion. I keep telling people, you can be anything God has gifted you and designed you to be. That's how you ought to say it as a Christian. But not that you can be anything you want to be, because that's not true. Um, so I just want to dispel that in the first case. The other thing I'd like to say is that I think we need to accept how God has gifted us, and we need to operate within the limits of our endowments, and uh, don't allow pride uh, to cause us to become failures or to, to reach unhappiness. There are a lot of people today uh, who are living a life of complete unhappiness because they're trying to be something they're not to be, and they're trying to be somebody who they're not supposed to be as well. So I'm just trying to save you from that. Look at your gifts, look at your talents, look at how God has endowed you, and operate within the sphere of your endowment. Um, you, you just 
reach beyond that, you're trying to be something else than how God intended to be, and you're going to end up being unhappy. I have a very good friend in the States right now who, by profession, is an accountant, very qualified person, um, can't give his name, but um, he went into the area of accounting because his brother had become an accountant and was doing extremely well financially. So he decided that that was the way to go. Um, he left college, uh, as I said, very proficient in his skills, um, got hired in some of the major um, institutions in Barbados in the accounting area, uh, but was totally, totally unhappy, constantly changing jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I kind of warned him one occasion that his wife will not eventually put up with this um, this ride that he's going up and down top to Turby. To, to make it a long story short, uh, in spite of his skill, his, his knowledge, his qualifications, he realized this was not what he was called to do. And um, started experimenting with different areas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, marriage broke up, lost his family. He's now in the States, and he's doing what he felt he should <laughs> supposed to do. He's working in one of these um, for homeless people. Okay. And he's caring for homeless people. He always had that desire, but the the goal was money, 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 because yeah. his brother. And, and uh, but he lost his family in the process. See? Mm. And that was never how God gifted him, uh, how God intended him to be. But now he found satisfaction in that, even though he's lost his family uh, and, and and his children substantially. So I'm just warning you. Um, you intend to pursue a course of whatever. Um, and not to show what area of study, what area of discipline you're going into, but just be very watchful that you're not motivated exclusively by um, the monetary gains that can be there. Um, make sure that uh, it's the way God has gifted you. The, the other thing I would like to say is um, all of us are subjective and very self-conceited. We think more of ourselves than... than uh, that's, that's, that's our nature, quite frankly. So what you need to do is to try to get some kind of objectivity involved in making your decisions. And I would suggest to you that you get advice from at least three persons, not one person, at least three persons. And look for people who are knowledgeable, who are very objective as far as matters are concerned, who are very truthful and honest and will not tell you what you want to hear, but will tell you how they honestly feel about it. And the other fourth element is that they truly have a caring, compassionate heart. Those are the four things I would look for in people that I will turn to to see if I can get some guidance on this particular matter. Uh, fifthly, I would say don't uh, allow one person to, to dissuade you uh, on your course of action. Um, um, you need to get other persons involved in this matter to give you a better judgment as to whether you should pursue this or not. But one person, I would never allow just one person to be a blockade in my pathway going forward to anything I'm going to do. So what can you do? The first thing I would say to you is um, take some time to calmly and realistically reflect on the advice of the person who spoke to you. I know you're angry at first. You might think the person's against you. They don't like you, except. But I would suggest to you the first thing you do. Just, you've had enough time to think about it. Uh, is it ill-intended? Uh, is the person a good friend? Is he a person that has always had your best interests at heart? Um, but now he's telling you something negative to, to turn turn your um, your mind away from what you're going to pursue. But you've had enough to look at it very carefully. So I would say to you, that's the first thing. Calmly reflect on what he's told you and try to evaluate it. Number two, seek God's guidance with prayer, the Word, 
and uh, find some godly people that you can trust to ask them to pray with you about the matter and then reflect what you intend to do off of them. Uh, Thirdly, investigate and research whatever you're about to pursue so that you have the real facts at hand in terms of what is required and you are capable of doing this. I once had a young man from our church who wanted to be a pilot and when I started asking his qualifications, number one, he only had a two or three O-level subjects, uh, or what you call the CXC exams. I asked him how, how well does he do in the terms of the science subjects, maths, physics, etc. He was not good at that. And I gave him the bad news. Quite frankly, you can't be a pilot because those are the qualifications that are required before you can go on and do do, do studies. Of course, he was greatly disappointed because he had been using some kind of a a computer program, and um, I guess you can do some module where you can fly a plane, et cetera, et cetera. So he thought because he could do that good on on screen, he would now have that capacity in terms of doing it. But he didn't know there were pre-qualifications that are required to go on to do, do the pilots. So I didn't try to, I didn't want to frustrate him, but I had to be honest with him. If you can't do maths and physics, and you're not good at science subjects, you, you can't be a pilot because part of the pilot program to get into the program requires those basic qualifications. So investigate what is required in that matter. Um, fourthly, you should humbly evaluate uh, your own self in terms of what are your gifts, what are your talents, what are your abilities, and what are your experiences, experiences along the line that you're about to pursue. And do it in a very humble way. And then... Um, I would say to you that find somebody who's already gone through or going in pursuit of whatever you're going and ask them uh, the, the pathway towards success and ask a true evaluation if they know you, do you have the capacity to achieve whatever it is. But get somebody who's, who's gone that road. Uh, and number seven, above all else, let your decision be guided by the peace of God. In other words, if you don't have peace about what you're about to pursue, put it on hold until you have peace on this matter and you feel it's within uh, God's will. Last thing, if you do pursue what you're doing in spite of advice that's been given to you, and you discover at some point in time you've made a bad choice, you've made a bad decision, swallow your pride, reverse the order, and go back. Uh, to square one again and pursue uh, a different pathway. But don't continue failing when you realize that this was not for me, I don't have the ability. It's better to just admit the fact that, you know, you made a mistake uh, and you're going to do something about it. I think that um, if you follow that simple counsel, I think it would be very helpful for you as a person. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. You can call in with your question about life, about the Bible, what the Bible says, why the Bible doesn't say something, about what the answers are to the frustrations in life. Pastor's here to hear your question and to answer your question from a biblical worldview. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 268-462-7420 or WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four. Yeah, I just want to say something else, Nathan. That uh, if you look at the life of King uh, David before he became king, you remember when he was um, about to pursue the contest between himself and Goliath. Remember how he was treated by his brothers when he, when he told his brothers that you know this this guy is uh, blaspheming in the name of God. I, I can take him on. 
they say, you little run. You don't go back home and yeah. give the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when I, when I read the question, I thought it was a good example that even David's brothers were discouraging him. You're no match for this giant. Right? Because they're looking at it from a purely human perspective. They don't know how God has endowed David with the amount of faith that David had. And then how skilled David was at using the sling. Uh, so if it were a classic case of a person who has been advised, who want to do something, who feels this is God's will, ready to go at it, and then somebody discourage it. And the discouragement came from his own brothers. Always remember that. A lot of your discouragement comes from the closest people around you. But don't let that stop you if this is God's will and you really believe that. Don't let it stop you. If follow-up question from the individual who sent in the question. By the way, thank you for sending in your questions. Pastor, how do you know what your gifts and talents are? Look, there's a... One of the things that I would say to you that whatever you like to do, Mm -hmm. like for example, um, I like taking down things. I don't have the time to do it, but I think that's one of my gifts, to be very honest with you. You just don't have the time. But I enjoy taking down an engine and putting it back together. Uh, I love electronics. I like playing with things. I've always been that. We've mashed up so many radios, don't even know how to fix them, to be honest with you, taking them apart. But I think that is an endowment, a natural endowment that has been given to me. And I think that uh, you will find in yourself some people naturally like, for example, working with figures. And uh, they're inclined towards accounting. Uh, some people are naturally inclined towards science. Some people love languages. Uh, some people love business. I think that you you pretty much have an idea by looking at how you're naturally uh, wired by God in terms of what you find yourself moving towards. Uh, that is one of the things I, I would say. The other thing is that there are a lot of um, um, evaluations that you can take online that will give you an idea of your area of, of, of uh, giftedness and the area of your qualifications. You can answer certain questions. And you can pretty much give you an assessment uh, on, on what your area of gifted is. So that is one of the things that might be very, very helpful to do some kind of a, a career evaluation in terms of your qualifications, what you like doing. There are questions that these people ask that helps to clarify exactly what they think that you're, this is your, your interest, this is your direction. That would be very, very helpful. Uh, we have a, for our church, we have a form that could pretty much, is very helpful in helping to evaluate your spiritual gifts. Uh, I have another um, book I've not used as yet, as a, uh, but has to do with careers. This is a Christian, I think his name is Larry Burke. Okay, yes. Uh, I have his uh, book on careers, and he pretty much gives you a, a sheet of paper, a kind of evaluation to answer certain basic questions, to give you an idea where you seem to be endowed and skilled, etc., etc. Uh, if you needed um, a copy of it, I can probably photocopy it and pass it on to you. And um, you just need to maybe call me, call the office, and I don't mind uh, giving you a copy of it. That might be very helpful to you to evaluate your area of giftedness. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 746. Do you have a question? You can send it via WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, would you agree with this statement? If I am where God wants me to be, I will feel fulfilled and satisfied. I don't think there's a doubt about that question. But you're going to have challenges. So, <laughs> okay. But you, you, I agree with that. You have to feel fulfillment and you have to feel satisfaction. Uh, and that's why what's warning the person of pursuing a course of action 
and you're miserable about it. Like this, this accounting guy. I mean, I know him well. I knew his heart for a long time. As a matter of fact, I had him. Uh, he came to St. Lucia when he was there. I even gave him a chance to preach. I spoke to him. It, it seemed to me that his his calling was ministry, but he went into accounting. And I think that was, and the last time I spoke to his um, mom, she told me that uh, he was helping with this um, rescue mission, uh, helping people, etc. That That is his forte, that's his gift. Unfortunately, um, he came around to it after losing his family, losing his wife. Well, I think it's, he's still in contact with his children. I think his wife may even be remarried now. But uh, one of the great tragedies that I have known, a very good friend, I've tried to contact him several times since I've been here, but he wouldn't respond to me. His wife told me he's ashamed. Mm. I don't know what he's ashamed about because I, I would not tear him down. I would yeah. try to say, listen, buddy, you made a mistake. Let's move on with your life, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. But the intention is not to belittle him or to make him feel bad about this, what has happened to him. But I haven't been able to contact him. I've tried several times and never been able to reach him. Question from a listener. Pastor, are you saying it's wrong for me to tell my children that they can be what they want to be? Yeah, I think you should tell them they can be, you can be everything, anything God wants you to be. I think that's a biblical approach. The, 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 you see, the, the mirage of telling people you can be anything and then they believe that, then to discover that they, they're not gifted in certain area. Look, um, I can never be a medical doctor. Never. Yeah. I can't stand blood, Nathan. Mm. If I see an operation performing on television and I see a cut and I see, it's like the pain goes through my body, okay? I, I got to look away. I can't watch a foot broken. I can't watch that kind of thing. Now, how in the world can I be a doctor and deal with those kind of things, right? Uh, so I, I know that. So I'm not going to fool myself that I can be a medical doctor. I just don't have what it takes to be a medical doctor. It's not just intelligence. There are other factors that are involved. Uh, but I think that there are a lot of people who are setting up their children to fail. They've got their ideal, what they wanted to be in most cases, they were not able to achieve. So they want to achieve it to their children. Okay. And they push their children to go in a particular area. The child is not inclined that way, but to, to meet mommy's need and mommy's ego and family need, they do it. And then later on, they realize that this is, is miserable. Miserable, completely miserable. So I think what you need to do as a parent is to just say to that person, your child, look, God has gifted you a certain way and uh, operate within the area of giftedness and whatever God's will is for your life and whatever God wants you to do, you can be. But you can't be anything you want to be. This is simply not true. I don't know. Look, the so medical doctors cannot be carpenters. They can't be builders. They don't have that skill. They don't have that ability, right? So I just think it's a, a mirage, it's a myth, uh, and it's an ego-building thing. But we're supposed to be humble servants of the Lord, and we must just tell people the Lord has made you a certain way. He's given you a certain way. God has a will for your life. And son, my daughter, whatever God has will for you, or whatever, how God has gifted you, that is your ear of success. What advice do you have for the parent that says, Pastor... I appreciate you sharing this, but this is new to me. But I, for the last four or five years, have been pushing my child in a direction that they're not gifted in. How in the world do I proceed now? If I were a parent and I uh, did that, I would probably sit down with my child someday and uh, just say, listen, uh, my philosophy of life has really been wrong. I've been, I haven't even brought the Lord into this whole thing. So if the Lord has gifted you a certain way and pushed you in a direction you're not, 
is going to end up with dissatisfied. So I would, I would, I would say, you know, I've become enlightened. I've become informed. I've, uh, I've come under the conviction of Scripture that it is God has designed you. God has given you these particular gifts, and God intends for you to be a, a per- certain type of person and a certain type of career, whatever it is. Work within the sphere of how God has gifted you. And um, I think, look, there's nothing wrong in apologizing to your child once you come to realize that something is wrong. You have a beat. Well, I can't. You, you, you have any kids right now, Nathan? But I've beat my kids sometimes for the wrong reason. I thought the other one was, you know, and you know, I've had to say, listen, I'm so sorry. I, I, I just, I just, I'm so very sorry. Forgive me for doing that. Now, I've never met one of my children who thought less of me because I did that. Right. They often think more of you because it, daddy makes mistakes. He's willing to apologize when he makes a mistake. So I think when we make mistakes of that nature, and by the way, Nathan, the problem is that we don't get our information from the word any longer. To be very honest with you, we hear it on the news, we hear it on television, we see it in movies, and it sounds good. It sounds good. So we want to pump our children to try to achieve. But what about telling the child, you're, the, the, the greatest thing you can ever achieve is God's will? I mean, I can't think of anything any man could ever do that can be greater than doing God's will. Yeah. And if God's will is that you be a doctor or a lawyer, be be that doctor. If God's will is that you be a builder or whatever, be that an accountant, be that. Be a missionary, be that. But So I think that's where um, satisfaction comes from, and I think that parents need to get back to telling their children as believers, listen, God has made you a certain way, God has wired you, God has endowed you with certain gifts, and God has given you certain abilities. Uh, work within those abilities and, and, and see how God has, has, has actually made you. Uh, I don't think parents should push their children in things. My children would tell you that I've never told them what to be. Never. Right? Um, I've always tried to give them a skill, though. I must say that. I've said after you left secondary school, every one of my boys has a skill. I said, son, you have to be able to survive. Yeah outside of your normal job. You don't know when you get a Dear John letter, you put the best in the company, they're going to uh, cut down on staff, and even though you're given all these years, all this effort, you get this letter saying, you know, we, we, we're going to terminate you. How are you going to survive if they do that? You have, a, have to have a skill that you can survive on. So all my kids have at least made sure that they have some kind of a skill including the academics. And I've always told them, you must be able to survive on your own without depending on anybody having to employ you. Um, That's a basic principle I've had. And all my boys will tell you that, quite frankly. After left secondary school, the first thing I tell them, I want one year of your life, and I want you to do get learn a skill. Then you do whatever you want to do. You feel how, how the Lord wants to lead you. But I think a skill is important, to be honest with you. Do you believe that midlife crisis is a legitimate thing, or is that just a cultural phrase? Oh, no, that it, it is. <laughs> I've been through it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, it's when you get into your 40s, 45, sometimes it starts early, but normally it's 45, between the 45 and 50. It is then you start realizing, first of all, you're not going to live as long as you've lived already. That's the first thing that hits you. And by then, you have had calls from home, uh, people you know who are your age, who have died in their 40s, in their 50s. So you become very conscious of your um, mortality, right? The other thing that you start evaluating is what you're doing, right? Have I, have I done a, a good job? Have I been satisfied with this? Have I wasted my time? Have I, could I have done things differently? That becomes very, very real. And then the matter of 
insecurity is what really hits you enough because you often ask it so okay i'm 45 50 now i got another few years so what happens after uh you, you you're out of whatever you're doing how are you going to survive that's the first thing that begins to, that hits you as well uh so it develops a level of you develop a level but i find as you go on it kind of disappears it really does and then when you start now getting into your 70s it comes back again <laughs> you're not there yet <laughs> no, I, no not there but it, it, i don't know if uh uh, there's a book by Tim Conway, I think that's his name, Tim Conway, on uh, the mid- midlife crisis. Okay. I think it's a very useful book to read uh, for men, uh, especially before you get there, mm-hmm. because some people are not able to handle it. And you can go through deep depression, really deep depression, if you're not aware what what. And you think that it's only you. It's when you begin to realize that this is something that all men go through. It kind of lifts the cloud that is over your head when you begin to realize that. But a lot of people that um, have not read the book, don't really know much about it, etc., and uh, they're caught by surprise and they don't know how to handle it. And he offers some suggestions in the book as well, how to handle it when it comes your way. It's going to come. (laughs) You can't escape it. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're here to answer your questions. If you have a question, maybe you're thinking, you know what, Nathan, or Pastor, surely I'm the only one in all of the Eastern Caribbean, and anyone who's listening to the Lighthouse online or on Facebook that would have this question. Listen, even if you are the only one that has the question, go ahead and send it in. We want to hear it and be able to answer it from a biblical worldview. We're not here just to be talking to you, but to interact with you. We appreciate your interaction and we look forward to it. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782- one four five four. I'm going to give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked or grab a pen and a paper. WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. It's been a little while since I said this, but if you have a topic that you would like us to discuss in a future episode of That's Truth, please send it in. If you have a question or a topic and you don't want it in any way tied back to you, if you don't even want us to say what country your area code is from, or they're even from this hemisphere, just put anonymous at the beginning of your message, and we will just reference it as a listener. You can also call and ask your question on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. Live on air, 268-462-7420. You can join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Go to the Facebook Live video feed. And then you can comment under that. And it is being monitored and your question will be passed along to Pastor Murphy. Yeah, I want to say something else, Nathan. Uh, many years ago when I started in the ministry and I was in St. Vincent and I was preaching around, I, I, the fellows kept telling me, um, you know, you, it's good for the evangelism, you should go into evangelism, etc., etc. Um, I left the church in St. Vincent with a view to go into evangelism. But the Lord put me on a shelf for two years. Hmm. I did not get one invitation, even for the people who told me. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I've realized now uh, in the ministry, that I would never have been successful in that because I don't like traveling. 
Okay. Right? And for evangelists, you have to be able to travel. Uh, I think my wife got a little shock in her life because she really thought that is eventually what I would end up in doing evangelism. She would travel at the drop of a pin. Yeah. To get me to travel, you have to... You almost have to pack my bags, do everything for me, and then by the time I get there, within two days, I want to get back home. Mm. I'm not inclined towards travel. And uh, so me and my wife are completely different persons. I'm just saying that to say this, that God didn't wire me for that kind of a, uh, ministry. Uh, I'm more a person who is settling in the ministry and concentrate on the ministry as opposed to be traveling back and forth and so on and so forth. It's just not part of me. A question that has come in via WhatsApp. Good night. Can you please explain Exodus 32.14? Exodus 32.14 says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Well, when I said he repented, I mean, he changed his mind about what he intended, the affliction he was going to bring against them. In other words, he's going to chasten them. And the word evil there doesn't mean evil in the sense that he's going to do something wicked, but evil in the sense that uh, he's going to bring a calamity upon the nation because of the disobedience. And he changed his mind. And by the way, uh, God changes his mind depending on how we respond and how we react. Uh, so when it says that God does not repent, God does not repent of, uh, he's nothing to repent about. In other words, no sin in it that God repent. But he changes his mind according, for example, 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. Right. That's God's settled thing. I will destroy Nineveh in 40 days. But the challenge is, go and preach to them if they repent. I changed my mind. That's exactly what happened. And of course, Jonah was mad that when the people repented because he, as a prophet, uh, he knew that Nineveh, uh, would, the Assyrians one did destroy Israel and carry them into captivity. You don't want your enemies to survive, <laughs> right? So he was very, very angry. But again, notice, I'm going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. Go and preach and tell them that. But when they repented, God changed his mind, and God extended their, the, the nation, I think, for another 100 years. Yeah, I was thinking 150, some, but some, it might have been yeah, 100. Yeah, it, might, yeah. no, it might be 100. I'm just using 100 yeah. to go over, but he extended that. So that's what that verse means, quite frankly, that uh, God intended to deal with Israel harshly, bring punishment upon them, but he changed his mind, and a lot of that change would have been brought about as a result of their reaction and their response uh, to whatever the prophet had told them. And that's where, for example, um, I think there's hope for America. I really do. But I think that's contingent on the nation repenting and getting revival, right? So I think that America's longevity can can be extended. But it's totally dependent on the moral decision the people make and their repentance and go on. So if you had a revival in America, there's no question in my mind that nation is salvageable. But as it stands now with what is going on, and they continue down this course, I think God comes to a point where God said, now I just can't treat other nations that would not respond to me this way and then allow you to continue this indefinitely. So that's where I think there's always hope. Once there is revival and repentance, there's hope for whatever nation it is because that's the way God operates. He gives you a warning, you respond to the warning, he changes what the penalty was designed for. Of course, um, if you go back again, it comes back again. But what I'm saying, he extends mercy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what he's talking about there in that passage. How do you reconcile that, though, with the fact that God knows the future? And so if he was going to be doing something to you, but he knew that he really wasn't going to do it, 
you follow where I'm going? Yeah, I get that's like the question. I said, if God knew that Adam would sin when he allowed him to be to be to be born, and the the areas where you and I can't plumb the depths mm-hmm. of God's thinking. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, to be honest with you. All I do know is that the Bible makes it very clear that God has settled his mind that judgment will come as a result of certain behavior. If that behavior is changed, God withholds the behavior and changes his mind about visiting that person or that nation with wrath. You're listening to That's Truth, and for a number of months, Pastor has been talking about the topic of apostasy. It started out on biblical separation back in the month of October, and then transitioned specifically into ecclesiastical separation and apostasy within the church. Now, Pastor, what do you mean by apostasy? Well, apostasy basically is when a church or an individual moves away from fundamental biblical doctrines uh, and, and fundamental biblical morality. So you, whenever you find that on uh, moving away from biblical song, biblical doctrine, it if, eventually leads to moving away from biblical morality. And that is substantially what it is. And what we're faced with today, church, uh, Nathan, on a global scale, not just uh, in the Caribbean, in America, in Europe, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that the Church of Christ is being completely eviscerated by the fifth column within the Church itself. We've got issues with the external forces that are trying to destroy the Church. There's no question about that. The media, science, uh, etc., um, government, uh, policies, social policies, all of this is designed to strip Christianity of its power. But that's not the real enemy. The real enemy of the Church is, is the people within the Church. People who claim to be pastors, leaders, preachers, theologians, seminarians, etc., who are actually uh, gone away from biblical truth, but yet remain in the church, remain in the institution of a seminary, whatever it is, and is undermining uh, the Bible, undermining Christianity, undermining faith in Christ, etc., etc. That's where the the real um, uh, apostasy, uh, and the Bible warns us. Uh, about this very clearly that this is going to happen. I don't mind if you would just look at these few verses again. Yeah. Look at Second Timothy four, three and four. Second Timothy, Timothy four, three and four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap up to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And they shall be turned on to fables. Now remember, he's not talking about the man in the world. This is addressed to the church. He's telling you this is exactly what's going to happen within the church, that people no longer be concerned about biblical truth any longer. It's what is pleasing to the ear and uh, what satisfies the hedonistic um, appetite, quite frankly. So um, he's warned that this is going to come. I think we're there. I don't think it's going to come any longer. I think we're there right now, right? People are not interested in... Truth is... People come to church and it's not truth they're looking for. They're looking for something else but not truth. As a matter of fact, when you say something uh, that is, 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 is absolute truth in the Bible, uh, preaching sometimes, some people are very, very offended uh, on matters. Then the other one, Nathan, is uh, 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. 1 Timothy 4. 3 and 4, verse 3 and 4. Forbidding to marry 
in commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is to be received with thanksgiving. Again, you're going to find that in the last days, uh, the push towards vegetarian diet, for example. It's, it's, it's part of the, the apostasy, quite frankly, and what God has given, the, the meat, etc. And that is not only happening, by the way, <laughs> Outside of the world is happening within the church. Uh, so it's very, very... And then one other verse is 2 Timothy 2.3. 2 Timothy... Thessalonians, Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.3. That says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So before the Antichrist is going to be manifest and revealed, uh, the Lord said there's going to be a falling away. And we are currently, in my judgment, in that period of time where the, the church, right, left, and center, is falling away uh, from biblical truth. And because it's falling away from biblical truth now, it is now embracing alien moral principles and lifestyles that God abominates and God condemns, that can only happen as men move away from the truth. So the fact that that is happening on a grand scale is an indication, quite frankly, we've gone away from the truth. Now, having said that, Nathan, the, the biblical mandate for us is that when this begins to happen, we need to s- separate, we need to think. Let me give you, um, look up First Timothy 6, First um, Timothy 6, verse 3 to 5. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which according to godliness he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Again, remember this is speaking within the context of the church. You know how people in the world know. This is what we, you know, sometimes we think this is referring to the world, is referring to what is going to happen within the context of the church. Notice his song words and also song doctrine. You move away from that. He said, well, withdraw yourself. Withdraw yourself from these, these type of people. And then the other one is uh, 2 Timothy 3.5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Again, if you read the list that he gives you, there are about 19 different things to mark the end times. But he said that these people in the end time is going to have a form of godliness. In other words, you're not going to have a decrease in religion as we move towards the end time. You're going to have an increase in religion, but they're not going to call it Christian faith. The word today is spirituality. At every level, they're talking about spirituality. You read books on psychology? They talk about spirituality. I don't care where you look, it's spirituality. You read New Age, spirituality. Everything is spirituality. You listen to opera, it's spirituality. You listen to everything is spirituality. So they're talking about um, spirituality, but they deny the power to transform, to change. Right. That's why you have gay pastors, gay homosexual uh, congregations. You've got lesbian uh preachers who are lesbians who are preachers etc they talk about spirituality but they deny the, the power of God to change their lives see so the Bible 
move away from those people, withdraw from them, have nothing to do with them, quite frankly. And we are currently in that stage today. A lot of religion, a lot of spirituality, but when you look at the transformation and the power to change, they deny that it's there. You're born this way, you can't change, etc. Quite frankly, if that is true, I can't think of a person who gets saved. I was born wicked, yeah. inclined towards wickedness. So that means because I was born that way, I can't be changed, I can't be transformed. But it's like precisely what they're saying. So I was born like in guys. So that means I can't change? Mm-hmm. The same way a man is born like in women and he knows the only woman he should have is his wife, he has to discipline himself and allow the transforming power of God to restrain him. So the argument is religion, but no power. And that's what we have today. A lot of religious thought, a lot of spirituality, but no power whatsoever. It's a bogus, pseudo-Christianity um, that we have today. How would you respond to the listener that says, Pastor Murphy, this concern you have for apostasy the churches or the individuals in these churches have just shifted their views to where you're a stick in the mud and you're not comfortable with this new perspective. You don't really have a basis for it. Uh, repeat that again. I'm trying to get a handle yeah. on what you just said. Uh, the, how would you respond to the listener who says, Pastor, you don't really have a basis for your concern of this apostasy. Mm-hmm. You're just upset that New beliefs have come in, and you're kind of stuck in the old in the old oh, way. Oh, that's simple. I I deal in truth. The Bible is a guideline. There's a book. Uh, anything that enters the church that is contrary to Scripture is alien to Scriptures, out of God's will. So I I that uh, I don't buy that one one bit. The purpose the church is said to be pillar and ground of truth the last bastion against the apostasy that we see in our end time and all this moral confusion we have is the church. What has happened is the church is surrendering and surrendering and surrendering. It has not, it refused to take a stand on matters. I am not too sure if they're concerned about public opinion. I couldn't care less about public opinion, quite frankly. I'm not too sure if they're concerned about um, imprisonment, persecution. Well, that comes with the territory, Right, uh, quite frankly, I don't lavish and I don't court persecution, but the church has always grown yeah. in persecution because it's then that people begin to realize these people really believe what they teach and they preach. You see, so they have it has a transforming effect upon people to see the church taking a stand on issues that they're willing to give their life to or go to prison for. Is then people realize there's something worth dying for. This is real. This is not something that they're not playing a game. See, but so I'm not too sure what motivates people um, to not take a stand on issues that are clearly... Nathan, there's nobody who can tell me who can read the Bible that can tell me you can, you can, that can say that you can read the Bible and tell me that homosexuality is not wrong or that lesbianism is not wrong. There's nobody who can tell me that a marriage between two men is not wrong or two women is not wrong. A man is not a woman, a woman is not a man. I mean, we knew that. We knew that. We, we, we know that within ourselves. But yet, for some reason, the modern apostate church has sided with the political agenda, refused to take a stand. For example, I can't see how if I, for example, there's no politician, if they were a member of our church, who voted for for abortion, who could remain a member of our church? 
I didn't care who he is, prime minister, it didn't, didn't matter to me. Let him go and join another church because we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that life begins at conception. If there was a, a politician or a, a businessman, whoever he is in our church, who uh, believe and endorses same-sex marriage, he could not be a member of our church. Let him go and join another church. If the church took a stand like that, um, these people would think twice or three times. But like, it's like, what's happening in America? Uh, I'm going to deal with that sometime in the preaching, but uh, I think it is 65 or 85% of people in the parliament claim to be Christians. Mm. <laughs> Biggest joke I ever heard, to be very honest with you. But take the Catholic Church. How can you... Uh, allow Joe Biden and some of the things he's done and said, right? Even cussing on, on, on radio, etc. And there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no discipline. He can still take community. He can still do all these kind of things. Same thing with uh, others within the, the movement. I mean, you've got all these people who claim to be Christians, but all of them, in, uh, well, a lot of them endorse uh, killing children up to age nine months and even after they're born. All of those people should be out of the church. We excommunicate them. You're not, you're not supporting the Christian belief. If the church were to act as the church supposed to be, even the politicians hmm. would be would be uh, would, would would take a different stand on these things. But what is happening could not have happened, Nathan, except the church has compromised and compromised and compromised. Uh, and I think that's where we are today. It's a compromised church, an apostate church, and therefore to halt the decline that we're seeing, it cannot happen unless we have some kind of a revival or some kind of a uh, transformation as a result of maybe going to jail, going to prison, taking a stand for something, uh, so that people become aware that this is this. We need to act on this thing. We just can't continue down this line. Any other introductory comments you want to make before we jump into a particular denomination and some proof of their apostasy? Um, I think um, I probably have said enough on that matter. I do I do believe that um, I hope the people who are listening understand <laughs> that the, the, this is designed really to wake them up to what is really happening because we in the Caribbean live in a box. And many, many times we're not aware. And a lot of people go to church, Nathan, and churches just to go to church. They, they don't um, study trends. They don't know what is going on, quite frankly. I, I, and especially people belong to, in the major denominations. You're going, you take your communion, you say your prayers, you say your Hail Mary, whatever it is. And that, that's that's Christianity, quite frankly. And But... So they don't know what is really happening. What even what the priests believe, what the what the pope believes, what the pastor believes. They they, they just they have just surrendered themselves to allow religious people who are supposed to be qualified to tell them what they want to hear and uh, interpret the Bible for themselves. There's no personal involvement in 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 dealing in the realm of truth. As a result. A lot of things are happening that these people are not even aware of. Before we jump into a specific situation and proof, can you explain what true Christianity is? Well, true Christianity, to be very honest, is basically um, a system that holds to the belief in the Scriptures. You must believe in the infallible, uh, inspired Word of God to have true Christianity, and you must have a um, basic belief system, what you might call your philosophy of life, um, your worldview. Um, to be a true Christianity, you must believe in the Creator. You must believe in redemption. 
You must believe in Christ. You must believe in his resurrection. You must believe in his virgin birth. You must believe in heaven. You must believe in hell. I mean, those are basic things. You cannot be a Christian and not embrace those things, right? And, of course, the, the most important thing, Nathan, is that you have to have a, um, a, a strong belief that not a strong belief, I absolutely believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Without that belief that the Bible is the Word of God, I don't know how you can believe anything else because if the Bible is not the Word of God, how do I know that Jesus came? How do I know it's in heaven? How do I know in creation? Everything we believe as Christians is embodied in Scripture. So the moment we surrender our faith in Scripture, we now have no basis for believing anything at all about uh, Christianity, about the Christian faith. So the key to Christianity is the Word. And I would say to you that when we surrender the Word, uh, we've surrendered Christianity. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.18. Even if you're listening to the rebroadcast on Saturday, or maybe you're listening to the podcast a year from now, We are glad that you're listening, and you are still welcome to send in your question via WhatsApp or text message. Send it to 1-268-782-1454. WhatsApp or text 268-782-1454. You can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and comment on the comment section while you listen to the program and watch the program behind the scenes. Or you can call and ask your question live on the air. The phone line is open, available, and awaiting your call. 268-462-7420. Talking about apostasy as... We continue this topic that Pastor's been discussing for a couple of months. Nathan, I just want to interject here again because you asked me if there's any final thing I want to say. I thought just, I want to say this. When you go to scriptures, it is very clear that there are two lines of Christianity that the Bible talks about. There is a genuine, authentic, uh, uh, enduring Christianity that the Bible said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then there is the apostate Christianity, the Bible says, that's going to grow and grow and grow and become the apostate church in the book of Revelation chapter 70, which is called the Great Whore. So there are two parallel lines of Christianity, and the true genuine, and you've got the fake and the fraud and the fraudulent. That's, we've got to be aware of that. So the Bible, when people say, well, you know, when these things are happening, it means that uh, what's happening to the church? We must remember that God has the, the, what do you call his remnant church? the true believers who hold to biblical truth. You've got people who are s- uh, simulating that or imitating that. There, There's no real genuine faith in Christ, faith in His salvation. It's become almost, almost like an organization where we have power and influence. That continues on to the end. But So don't be shocked that you've seen two, two, two things in line. The remnant, which is much fewer than the large one, the, what people see is the big ones, and the yeah. big organizations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that, that is not the remnant church. So we got to remember that the Bible predicts this is not going to happen. So God is not upstairs biting his thumb. 
God knows, he could see what was going to happen. And he warns us that, you know, you're going to have this apostate uh, church, but you stay out of it. You be separate from it. He warns us about that. So God is not caught by surprise in this whole matter. Neither should we. Would it be accurate to say that the one line, the remnant church, is true Christianity and the other one is just religion? Yeah, I would. I think that's a good way of putting it. But I would say this, uh, not trying to... Contradict myself. Uh, the f- problem here r- is that uh, there are people who are genuinely saved wrapped up in some of this false religion. Okay. Right? There's no question about that, right? But uh, again, where's their first loyalty? You, you mentioned last time, you know, my grandfather was a this and my grandfather, a great grandfather, and so they're going to be there. I think that is a misplaced loyalty. Our loyalty must be to God and Scripture first before the church. Um, when your church or my church goes away from Scripture, it's time to leave that church and lead that ministry. Uh, it cannot be that my loyalty is, is to that church. My loyalty is to God and Scripture first. And I'm, my loyalty is to that church so long as that church follows Scripture and, and is obedient to God. A couple of weeks ago, you talked about the Anglican Church. You quoted a number of leaders of the Anglican Church uh, from many decades, over the last several decades, and their apostate statements. Last week, you talked about the Episcopalian Church of America. And where do you want to go tonight? Well, I want to just talk about the United Methodist Church uh, in America. Um, it's now in a state of crisis, and it's been in a state of crisis since uh, 2000, etc. But there are a lot of churches leaving that uh, denomination, and it is really over their apostasy in connection with the LBGT issue. Um, In the United Methodist um, Book of Discipline, uh, it labels homosexuality as incompatible with Christian teaching and prohibits the blessing of same-sex marriage and the ordination of uh, uh, homosexuals. Uh, But within that denomination, the liberal theologians and liberal pastors, those people who don't believe in the scriptures is inspired and uh, who don't believe in miracles and the death of Christ, resurrection, etc., etc., they have become very, very prominent leaders in the denom- denomination. And so they are now fighting uh, for the United Methodist Church to change the rules within their rule book. Um, in response, there are a lot of churches coming out of that denomination. That's what they should be doing. As a matter of fact, uh, in Texas alone, 439 of those United Methodist Church left the denomination wow. and formed another denomination called the Global Methodist Church. They launched that denomination. So they're responding uh, quite well. Mark uh, Tooley uh, uh, points out in his um he says that by uh, 2022, uh, 1,300 of those churches would uh, to leave the denomination. And by 2023, would be between three and 5,000 churches that have left the denomination. Now, that's what they should do. When a denomination gets that corrupt, move away from Scripture, endorses immorality, it's time to move. And I thank God that these churches have now moved away from the United Methodist Church, formed the Global Methodist Church, and holding to biblical principles. But United Methodist Church has apostatized, they've gone away from the truth, and these churches are coming, almost 3,000 have come out of that, that. That's the biblical way that should be done. So that's another denomination. Uh, now remember, United Methodist Church remains 
but the group that came out from the Global Methodist Church are now holding to biblical truth, but that apostate church continues uh, nonetheless. So that's another um, denomination that uh, has fallen into apostasy in that, in that matter. What is the slippery slope, or what's usually the first stepping stone that these denominations or organizations go down that ends up leading them down this path? Well, it's, it's the first thing that normally happens is that there is a, um, a looseness on doctrine. Okay. That's the first thing that happens. Your, your doc- when your doctrine goes, everything falls apart because your morality, your behavior, your conduct, basically is based on what you believe. So when you begin to play hard and fast with Scripture, you begin to doubt that Moses wrote the, the, the Pentateuch. You begin to question the resurrection. You begin to question the virgin birth. Uh, th- when a church has a pastor or has a teacher in a seminary that begins to do those kind of questions, begin to question creation, no introduce theistic evolution, uh, that's a slippery slope because once you allow that one error, uh, it becomes you, your mind begins to stretch. You allow another error. You accommodate. You accommodate until finally, all that you held to before, you now no longer. And it happens so subtly that sometimes people are not even aware that it didn't happen overnight. It has happened over a process of time. But it's the undermining of the authority of Scripture and moving away from Scripture that begins a slippery slope of decline into apostasy, uh, whether it be doctrinal or whether it be moral. Do you have another example of uh, apostasy, whether it be within that church or maybe another denomination? Let me give you uh, another quick one here, and then I want to deal with the Lutheran Church for just a minute. But United Church of Christ, uh, again, uh, United Church of Christ, they have recently, uh, uh, in 2000, and, uh, 2000, June 2000, right, they set up a 500,000 scholarship fund for gay and lesbian seminarians and urge the acceptance of homosexual within the denomination. Wow. So imagine that. You've got gay and lesbians training in your seminary, and you've set aside funding to fund their, 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 their education. And then, in addition to that, you are encouraging those within your group uh, to be more generous and liberal in your uh, acceptance of uh, homosexuality. So that denomination as well, the United Church of Christ, um, is another apostate group that have gone away from biblical truth and, of course, surrendered uh, to uh, the modern morality of our times. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to 268 268- 7821454 doesn't have to pertain to our topic tonight. Tonight we're talking about apostasy within the church. But again, we will continue discussing that until your question comes in. Your question can be on a completely unrelated topic. That's not a problem. WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454. Or join us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your question in that section. 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. No matter how you're listening to the program or maybe watching the program on Facebook, we are honored that you've taken time out of your Tuesday evening, and we hope that you will stay with us for the last 30 minutes of this episode. 
You referenced the Lutheran Church. Uh, you have an example from yeah. The- gonna, uh, there are three Lutheran Church groups on the three largest denominations in America. There's ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. There's also the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and there's also the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Church. These are the three main um, largest de- Lutheran denominations. I want to talk about the ELCA, which is the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Uh, This is the largest Lutheran group of churches. It was formed in January 1988 and is a form as a result of merging of the Lutheran Church in America, the American Lutheran Church, and the Associated Evangelical Lutheran Churches. So these three came together and formed this Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. The size is about 5.3 million members. And it has over 11,000 congregations, but it's been losing members since between 1989, uh, lost 50,000 members. And it has a lot to do with the fact that this denomination is, a, is coming to apostasy. Um, the leaders are modernists, uh, they're ecumenists, and... Um, They've started ordaining women. As a matter of fact, in 1993, they ordained 1,350 women uh, as a clergy. Uh, The head bishop, uh, Bishop um, Herbert Christrom, he supports the ordination of homosexuals. He wrote a commentary on Hebrews, and he said that the Bible's historical records are exaggerated and stretched beyond actually what they were. <laughs> now, this is the head bishop of the, of the movement, right? Um, uh, he, uh, they're publishing houses, uh, also print volumes that promote their unbelief. For example, uh, uh, Ragnar uh, Livestad uh, wrote his book, um, Jesus in His Own Perspective. And he said that Jesus did not claim to be messianic titles or to any special position. Um, again, this is a man who's leader within the church there. And then the uh, division of church and society, they've authorized the distribution of a report on human sexuality, which claims that homosexuals were created by God and that sexual relations outside of marriage are not always wrong. This is published by this uh, particular group. And they also have a, a youth program guide that is given to the youth. And it's called Let Justice uh, Roll Down Like Waters. And they teach people, uh, young people, that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Wow. Yeah. So this is within that uh, group, yes. Pastor, we have Codrington live on the air. Codrington, thank you for calling. Please go ahead with your question quickly, please. My question is this, you remember the verse in Jesus Christ was talking to his disciples and he said that some of them would not taste death until when they see he come back to the, from you know, the side. And, and right now the disciples, remember he was talking to all of them dead, so how they will see when he come back? Well, again, I, I, I wish I could turn to the passage immediately, but let me tell you what he's talking about. That um, He said that um, immediately after that encounter, uh, he goes to the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's what he's talking about. They will see his glory. See? Uh, before they die, they will see his glory, and that's what he meant, uh, his glory. So when they went on the Mount of Transfiguration, they got a slight glimpse of what 
would be when he comes in glory. Because remember, as he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was completely transformed where he became as bright as the sun. And uh, that's what he was talking about. So they, 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 they did not die until they'd seen his glory and his coming, what his glory would be like, because he gave them a sample of that experience when he took them on the Mount of Transfiguration and was there metamorphosized before them. That is completely transformed where his glory showed through his humanity. And uh, so that's what he's talking about. Did that answer your question, Codrington? I think he talked about um, when he um, going to die on the cross and, and go away. Um, I, th- I think he's talking about that. But the person's explained to me that and I believe that it's good enough for me, you know. Yeah. I did want to ask something else, but Mary said she didn't want to put me on. So um, I'm going to hang up now. Um, maybe I'll talk to her in the office tomorrow. All right. Thank you very much for listening, Codrington. Appreciate it. And keep listening to the Radio Lighthouse and keep Jesus Christ first. Yeah, I would say to you, Codrington, that's a very good question because a lot of people are yeah. puzzled about that. And I'm glad you asked the question. And that's the biblical answer. That's the solution to the problem. He told them that, and then he took them on the Mount of Transfer, and they saw his glory uh, on that occasion. Yeah, Luke 9.27 is the, the particular verse. Can, can you read it? Yeah. But I tell you, these is red letters, mm-hmm. the words of Jesus, but I tell you, of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Right, and then he they saw what the kingdom of God would be when he took them in, and the, the glory that he saw. That's exactly what it's about. And then the next heading before you get to the next verse says the transfiguration. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, can we get back to the the Methodist? Yes, again uh, the Lutheran. Lutheran yeah. Then there's the Lutheran uh, Church of Missouri Synod, and uh, this was founded in 1847 uh, with German immigrants. The size is about 2.6 million members, and it has 5,900 churches. It is basically a conservative uh, group. But apostasy entered it in the 1970s, and it was a great upheaval within that movement. You've probably heard of Concordia um, College, right? That's where the apostasy started in. They had a liberal group in there who started to introduce all kinds of false teaching, and they they had to put a stop to it. And the liberal group left Concordia and formed what is called Seminex, which is a seminary in exile. Uh, but in 1970, this is the situation. Only 51% of their leaders believe in the full inspiration of the Bible. Wow. And only 65% of their parish pastors believe in the infallibility of the Word of God. That is how that apostles. So they had to do something about it. And, of course, they got those people out of the seminary. And um, But this group now has formed uh, this other seminary. And uh, they are now trying to, uh, again, um, keep this apostasy uh, going. So, Pastor, I've got here in front of me statistics. Again, these are a few years old, but from 2018, again, coming from the States because that's where the statistics Mm -hmm. are being done. 78% of those surveyed identified as Christian in 2018, but only 36% of people surveyed were practicing Christians. Do you think the fact that there's so few practicing Christians goes 
hand in glove with the apostasy that you're referencing here? Yeah, I, I think I think that is pretty much a good assessment. Even 30%, that's a lot of people uh, in, in, in the situation. Yeah, I, I do feel that um, some people, you know, don't forget that people, the major denominations, how you become a Christian, Nathan? Be you, you get baptized, you, your sins are washed away and you get baptism and they put your name in the book. So when you're registered, you're registered as, that's how they get the statistics. They go to these these um, birth certificate things to see who claimed to be a Christian. That's how they get it in most cases, right? Uh, same thing when you go into Germany, whatever it is, you're born a Lutheran, you become a Christian because you are baptized, etc., etc. So a lot of these people uh, are nominal Christians. They don't have a born again experience. They don't have. They don't even know what you talk about. Not what it, what it means. And then of course they get confirmed. They get baptized. They get confirmed. Uh, they do take the Eucharist. So they are depending on baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist. As far as they're concerned, uh, because they're within the church, they're safe, right? And again, the church has misled people for centuries, and there are people who are building their entire eternal destiny on the fact that they took the Eucharist, that they got baptized, and they're a member of a church. But what I think is strange, Nathan, that the most important decision of your life, you don't investigate what the Bible teaches on these matters. You just accept the fact that that's what the church teaches. Now, I can understand that when the church used to preach in Latin, and nobody understood Latin. I don't even know that. I mean, everything was done in Latin. People sat in the congregation. They're English. They ain't got a clue what the preacher is saying. Right? But I can understand in those days, but in the day when you have an open Bible, you have so many available to yourself, the average person is intelligent enough to read, people are literate. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, see what the Bible teaches. But people seem to be content to just let the the trained person, whoever that person is, whether the pastor, priest, whatever it is, to just tell them what's in the book. They themselves don't check it up, right? And I think that they go on with this, um, belief that they're saved because they're in church and then the church register, etc. But I think that's a good good idea of the volume that you have. But again, the true, genuine, authentic, much lower percentage uh, than than this eighty percent that you're talking about. You referenced being born again. What do you mean by that? Well, that passage that uh, reference that talks about being born again, I would recommend anybody read John chapter 3. I think it's, it, it unfolds to you the entire plan of how a person is saved, quite frankly. And being born again means being born from above. Uh, Nicodemus, who was the person encountered uh, by Christ on that occasion, uh, and Christ is trying to explain to him how he's going to get into the kingdom. To get into the kingdom, he must be born again. Nicodemus said, but how am I going to be born again? And, of course, you get the ludicrous response that he said, doesn't mean I could be go back into my mommy's womb and be born again. Uh, he clearly un- misunderstood the Lord's language. But our Lord clarifies what he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. This is not a human birth, but that which is born of the Spirit. His spirit. So he's talking about spiritual birth. And then, of course, how in the world is a man born of the spirit? How do you know he's born of the spirit? Well, the spirit go up where he listeth. Now, here's the song thereof, like the wind, but you don't know, you, you can't see the wind. He used the illustration. So is every man that is born of the spirit. The spirit is sovereign. He moves in a person's heart. He brings conviction. And how you know the person saved? You know the person saved by the changed life of the person. The spirit works a work in that person. Say with it, the wind. You know the wind is blowing because it moves the, 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 the leaves. It moves. It changes. It does something. Uh, so he says that it's being born again is being born of the spirit. And then he goes on, Nathan, to say, 
in the same passage, John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So being born of the Spirit involves the matter of Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying on the cross, and you accepting that. So that says, for God so loved the world. Same verse, chap- chapter, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So when it comes to born again, then, it's a spiritual work of the Spirit of God bringing conviction to the person's life, pointing that person to Jesus Christ in the cross as the Redeemer, the Savior, and you're putting your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior. That's what it is to be born again. The Spirit must work in a person's life to bring conviction and to point that person to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you put your faith and trust in Him, His death on the cross, you are born into God's family, and uh, you gain access eventually into the kingdom of God. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth, and it is a live interactive program for 90 minutes on Tuesday evening. We have about 20 minutes left in tonight's episode. Still plenty of time for you to send in your question, but don't hesitate. Go ahead and WhatsApp or text it to 268-782-1454 or call and ask it live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Any other evidence that the Lutheran Church is apostatizing. Yeah, but let me just say this. I want to uh, add one caveat. Again, like um, you've got apostates in the Baptist church, church. you've got yeah. apostates in the Lutheran church. Let me just say this. It doesn't mean that every Lutheran church and every Lutheran denomination, I've just mentioned two of them. There's a third one I could have mentioned, but it's just saying to you that uh, every major denomination, you've got apostasy in it. So one needs to be very, very careful. And uh, if I had belonged to any of these denominations that I just mentioned, it would be time for me to have my exit from that kind of denomination. I could not stay uh, in a church where that apostasy is tolerated, whether it be doctrinal apostasy or moral apostasy. I would come out of that church. Um, of course, you would might want to try to change something, but you can't change it. You just can't change it. Uh, you need to just come out and uh, separate, as the Bible says, withdraw yourself, separate from them, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and serve the Lord. Is there another denomination or organization you'd like I, to look I at? would like to focus a little bit, Nathan, on the World Council of Churches, because I think this is the fountainhead of the growing apostasy that we're experiencing today. Uh, this is a international ecumenical uh, church union, that has within it 340 denominations. I repeat, 340, and it represents uh, 120 countries uh, are represented, and the amount of people within the denominations within those countries total over 500 million professing Christians within the World Council of Churches. Uh, it was officially started in Amsterdam in 1948 with 147 denominations, and after 73 years, 75 years, that has now moved uh, to over 350. And, of course, it must be growing um, f- uh, by now as well. Uh, the purpose was for have one holy church. That's why it was formed. And they used John 17:21 to justify this unity. And they are pursuing what they say, and I'm quoting, a visible unity of Christ's church in one faith and its one Eucharistic fellowship. Okay, that was the goal that they set out. Notice unity of faith. Yeah. 
the, the funny thing about it, when you begin to examine what they've done over the years, it don't mean unity of Christian faith. It means unity of all faiths. That's what it's become. Because they're not only trying to bring the Christian church together, they are now opening Muslims, they're now opening um, Hindus, uh, they're now opening Aborigines, uh, they're now opening uh, North American Indian religion into it. In other words, it has become an eclectic uh, hodgepodge of just what we call spirituality. It has moved away from its original purpose of one faith, meaning one faith in the Christian God, to mean now one common faith with all religions included. Right? Didn't Israel become a nation in 1948? Yeah. And this organization started in 48. When you said that, it caught my it, attention. It, it, and I thought, yeah, yeah. Two things that take us one step closer to end times prophecy being fulfilled. Yep, yep, yep. That, that, that's interesting. I had not thought about that. But again, both we know from prophecy, Israel was going to be reborn yeah. and rebirthed. Which did, and then the Bible talks about the coming ecumenical movement, uh, ecumenical church, where we got this globalist church that uh, you know that becomes a great whore uh, that the Bible mentions in the the book of Revelation chapter seventy, the great religious group. So that's interesting to draw that parallel there. Now, the currently the Roman Catholic Church is not an official member of the World Council of Churches. Really? Yeah. But it works very closely with them since 1960. And uh, many Roman Catholics serve in leadership roles within the WCC, uh, but they're not members at the point. What Rome wants, basically, is not that she joins the World Council of Churches, but the World Council of Churches joins her. In other words, the Pope wants to be the head of this global uh, spirituality, this 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 faith we're all together. That is the the goal. That's why you could find he would go into a Hindu temple and offer prayers, or he would go into a Hindu temple and worship with them. the The goal is, quite frankly, is to bring all religions together. And that's why he would say, for example, that Hindus are saved. Catholic, I mean, uh, Muslims are saved. Not only Christians are saved. Again, you're, you're actually trying to win them over t- to you where you get this one big uh, conglomerate that is going to be formed in the end time. It's happening. And the World Council of Churches is the chief catalyst of bringing all of these groups together. Uh, things are happening that I can't believe. And by the way, when I began to look at this, it's not just something that just happened, Nathan. It's been happening since the 1970s and 80s. While we were asleep and not even paying attention to what's going on, behind the scenes. So a lot of what you are witnessing today, including the um, the gay liberation, liberation uh, lesbian movement, the feminist movement, uh, the ordination of, of women, and all this kind of thing. It's it. These were being pushed way back in the sixties and the seventies, uh, and now it's come to full fruition. So we get shocked that this happened. It seems sudden to us, but behind the scenes. This was being worked out and worked out and worked, different um, seminars that they had, uh, different conferences that they had. They would discuss these type, type of topics. And it's shocking uh, when you read uh, what went on at these conferences and some of the publications that they actually publish. It would shock you where they've gone and how far they've gone. And it's where I say to you, it's the fountain of the modern apostasy within the church. Uh, the... Council itself um, 
it's a mixture. It, 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 it's, it not only has theological modernism in it, where there are people in there who no longer believe in the, the basic fundamental doctrines, but it is Marxist in its ideology and pushes a socialist system moving away from capitalism. Uh, it also um, pushes feminism, uh, sacramentalism. What I mean by that, it, the emphasis a lot is on the sacraments. That's why they call it here the Eucharistic um, Fellowship. Uh, a lot of emphasis played on the sacraments. It's also syncretistic, where they're actually bringing all these groups together, and it believes in universalism. Ultimately, they're now pushing for the fact that everybody's going to be saved. Hmm. Right? So that's the whole idea. So we, in other words, we're all serving one God. We just serve Him under a different name. And uh, so salvation is not only just for the Christian. As a matter of fact, they are now saying to the Christian, you must not hold to your exclusivity. Uh, you must be more generous and liberal and embrace other religions. That is being pushed. And of course, it's also neo-paganistic in the sense that it is now invited. Uh, for example, take the Aborigine um, group in, uh, in um, Australia where they do these, these, uh, these dances and worship what is called the uh, nature. Um, they are also part of it now. So when they have a function, they would do their own religious thing, offer their own offering, throw tobacco and fish to their to their nature god, etc. And then, of course, they've also brought in the North American Indians. They also do their own thing uh, because their religion, um, they're worshiping God under a different form. So it's becoming, uh, including uh, paganistic beliefs as well. So I'm curious. You're listing all of the things that this World Council of Church, or some of the things that they're pushing, are they pushing the environmental agenda? Yeah, that is part of it as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, they are now going back to uh, um, a goddess of creation, not a god, a mm. goddess of creation, and so a lot of the environmental stuff and the worship. I'll give you some quotations, for example, where you you um, one of the lecturers which we'll come across, she is actually telling people to pray to trees. And I'm serious. I'm, I'm going to read the quote. And not only that, uh, this power, they call it pranic power. Of course, this is uh, Hinduism, and this is also the yoga belief in the pranic power that is in the universe is part of man as well. So this pranic power is also found in nature, it's found in the sea, it's found in the ocean. Uh, I mean, so you got this this aspect of it as, as well that's added to, to this matter. Uh, I want to use some quotes of some uh, some of the conferences that they had. Uh, for example, they had a conference in 1993, November, in Memphis, uh, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the title of the conference was Reimaging. Uh, at this conference, um, they had 2,000 women who were seeking to change uh, Christianity, and this is where feminism was being pushed and some of the people that spoke were some of the most radical um, uh, professed Christian apostate women that you can ever imagine and for example they had one, a lady called Chung Hyung Kyung who is a Korean uh, theologian uh, who equates the Holy Spirit with the ancient Asiatic deities yet she was one of the prominent speakers at this particular conference. They also had a woman called Virginia uh, Marlincott, 
who is an avowed abortionist and uh, lesbian as well. She was one that was allowed to speak. I'll, I'll quote from her as well. And then there's another one called Elizabeth uh, Horsen, a professor of Harvard University school, uh, school as well. She, is again, was a, one of the main speakers, but again, she is totally, totally apostate uh, from the faith. Let me uh, use some quotes uh, that were used at the conference by some of these women. One lady, uh, Dolores Williams of Union Theological Seminary, uh, during a panel discussion on Jesus, this is what she said, and i quoting her directly. I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I think that Jesus came for life and to show us something about life. I don't think we need folks hanging on the crosses, blood dripping, and weird stuff. You just need to listen to the God within you. Wow. Now, this is a woman lecturing at this conference. I mean, it is totally incredible that she could, uh, people would sit and listen uh, to her making this statement. So we don't need the cross. We do need the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. All we really need to do is to connect and listen to the God within. And that is New Age movement. Because the New Age movement believes that you are, your, your problem is not sin. Your problem is ignorance. And your ignorance is that you don't realize who you are. You are a potential God in the making, and you need to discover that God within you. This is New Age stuff, but it's being introduced at the conference by this woman who's a theologian at Union Theological Seminary. I mean, when I read that statement, I read her quotation, I just could not believe that. And this is the World Council of Churches that represents 500 million professed Christians wow. and 400, 434 denominations. Yet, this is allowed. So this is something that, um, this apostasy is deep, very, very deep, and very, very pervasive. Um, this woman I mentioned, Virginia uh, Marlincott, uh, avowed a pro-abortionist and lesbian. This is what she said, and uh, in her quote, I quote, she says that God is an abusive parent. Let me read this. She said, as an incest survivor, now she's lecturing, I can no longer worship in a theological context that depicts God as an abusive parent allowing his son to die on the cross. I mean, this is not a Muslim saying this. This is not a Hindu saying this. This is not a Buddhist saying this. This is a professed Christian representing at the world stage, world con- making this kind of statement before other Christians, and nobody walks out. Nobody says, listen, let's remove her from the, from the, from the podium. Uh, how did she get here in the first case? Nobody holds these people accountable. So I, I, this is just fascinating. How do you claim the name Christian and make a <laughs> statement like that? But that's where we are, Nathan. Remember we said they will not have any tolerance for the truth, mm. but will have teachers, when they have the itching ear, want to hear what they want to hear. Uh, so you've got people who are not Christians, they're Christian in name only. And it may be advantageous for people to remain in their Christian position, whatever it is. Um, but clearly, it is a false person. And then uh, Chayong, uh, Hayong, uh, Kayong, uh, who is the Korean theologian that equates the Holy Spirit with the ancient Asiatic deities. Um, this is what she said, and I quote. She's lecturing, Okay. She said, my bowel is a Buddhist, Buddhist bowel. My heart is a Buddhist heart. My right brain 
It's a Confucian brain, and my left brain is a Christian brain. <laughs> In other words, she has now become a syncretistic person who has taken all of these. She's taking Buddhism to Confucianism and pushing them together. She's saying, I am all of these in one pile, quite frankly. Uh, that's Christianity. That's where it's headed. It's spirituality, but not authentic Christianity. It's being pushed, see, uh, at, at these conferences. Uh, we would call that ecumenical schizophrenia. But they don't even, those religions contradict each other. This is the anomaly. That's why I call it schizophrenia, yeah. right? You can, you, can, you can hold things that are in, that completely opposite and somehow don't see the... Con- Remember, we're living in what is called the postmodern age. The modern age was the age of reason. The postmodern age is not the age of reason. It's the age of feeling and, and narratives. So truth doesn't really exist. Truth exists for you, exists for me. But there's no absolute truth anymore. So these people can hold these kind of things because, again, they've gone away from biblical truth. Listen to another thing. She, uh, this is what she said, uh, and I quote. She said, when we do panic healing, now remember that panic healing has to do with yoga, it has to do with uh, New Age. We believe that this life-giving energy came from God and is, in, is, is, and is everywhere. It's in the sun, in the ocean, uh, from the ground, and from the ground through the trees. We ask God permission to use the life-giving energy for our sisters and brothers in need. If you feel very tired, go to the tree and ask the tree to give you energy. That is a literal quotation. This is apostasy that is seeded and, and, and gone to seed. Thank you for listening to this episode of That's Truth. I know that your eyes have been opened. Mine have. I'm still sitting here trying to absorb some of these confusing thoughts and confusing contradictory statements and people claiming to make them in the name of Christianity. Keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse and we will keep you spiritually fed. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.